When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 252 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. If you are like me and you have tried to get healthy, you have likely followed the prescription of many doctors. To get healthy, we need to follow a diet and an exercise regimen. Well, my guest today argues that diet and exercise, while certainly important, they are not the cures to what ails us as human beings. My guest today is Dr. Vimal George. Dr. George is a doctor of family medicine, but he's also an author. He wrote a new book, Health in Flames, a doctor's prescription for living beyond diet and exercise. In today's conversation, Dr. George and I are going to talk about what ails us and how we can fix it. And spoiler alert for anybody who's wondering, well, what exactly are you talking about today? We are talking about a trifecta including the mindless pursuit of more, the lack of financial security, and the products of convenience that have made human beings sedentary. So we're going to talk about that trifecta with Dr. Vimal George after a quick word from today's first sponsor, KiwiCo. Spring is nearly here in my neck of the woods. And with the change in seasons comes a lot of new questions from my children. Why do flowers bloom? Why are days longer? Spring is a chance for kids to connect with the world around them. And KiwiCo delivers monthly science and art projects that celebrate our children's natural curiosities. With KiwiCo, your kids can explore different STEAM topics each month, ranging from rainbows to rocket ships and everything in between. My daughter, Ani, and I, we made gilded journals together. And because KiwiCo did all the legwork for me, I was able to fully engage in the experience of creating with my daughter. Do your part to encourage your children to become innovative, and creative thinkers. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code SUSTAINABLE at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Promo code SUSTAINABLE. And we are back with Dr. Vimal George. Dr. George, I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. 
Again, thank you for coming on. Tell us who are you, what do you do, and why on earth did you write Health and Flames? I am a family physician. I've been practicing medicine for about, you know, 15, 20 years. And over time, worked my way up into taking on different positions, including eventually becoming chief of quality at the clinic that I uh, work at and overseeing population health for our patients in Central Texas. And basically from that vantage point, I was able to see some of the things that I'm sure are obvious to a lot of people, which is that chronic diseases are increasing over time. Despite all our good advice about telling folks to eat healthy and exercise regularly, we are nevertheless getting higher rates of chronic disease, higher rates of obesity, increasing healthcare costs. All these are increasing, going in the wrong direction over time. Based on that, I decided to write a book looking at the underlying issue. We're going to get into your book and your thoughts on how we can each be healthier. But I have to ask you, have you seen any interesting or perhaps even depressing trends as we discuss collective human health? Yeah, absolutely. It's sad to see because let's just take one example, the example of diabetes, which is if you would look back in early 1950s, about 1% of our population was diabetic in the United States among adults. And today that percentage is over 10%. In fact, one third of patients uh, of the population of uh, U.S. adults uh, have pre-diabetes in addition to that. Similarly, look at trends of obesity over time. And what you'll see is that currently, which is sometimes shocking to hear for a lot of folks, currently in the United States among the adult population, about 72% of U.S. adults are either overweight or obese. For those of us who are health conscious, we're working hard at cleaning up our diets and we're also working hard at exercising more. But in your book, Health in Flames, you argue that diet and exercise is not the answer. So talk to me about that. Why is diet and exercise the magic pills that we've all been swallowing for decades? Why are they not working for almost all of us? <laughs> So I, I do want to step back and say diet and exercise is actually the, the right things that we need to be doing. The problem is that despite the good advice, so many of us fall short on, on following through on that. And so just to give you one example, there was a study that came out uh, a few years ago, and it looked at what percentage of our population in the United States among adults are following healthy habits, healthy patterns. So one is they follow a, a healthy diet, two, that they exercise regularly, three, that they maintain a normal body weight, and four, that they avoid smoking. And Stephanie, what percentage would you guess meet all four of that criteria? Oh, gosh, 15%? Believe it or not, it's 2.7%. Only 9% of us are getting an adequate amount of fruits and vegetables daily. Only 23% of us are getting an adequate amount of exercise daily. So what that tells you is that if only 2.7% of us are following these fundamental pillars of healthy living, then that means that there's something really wrong with our modern way of living. We really have to rethink our entire lifestyle. I consider myself to be a very health conscious person. And so for me, I tend to view 
products of convenience, let's say, as antithetical to my health. And so I'm always thinking, okay, no, I'm not going to buy the conventional cereal or I'm not going to purchase the, this is a dumb example, but the snowblower, which is taking away movement opportunities and instead shovel myself. I have a snowblower listener, so don't get concerned. But those are just examples. But what I hear you saying is that there are factors that are just embedded into our ways of life beyond buying a snowblower or not and beyond buying the healthy junk food versus not that are drastically affecting our health futures. So talk to me about that. What on earth is consumerism and consumption doing to our health? Yeah, so that's exactly the underlying point that I try to make in the book is that really what's affecting our health is consumerism. When you first hear that, you think to yourself, what does consumerism and health have to do with each other? So first of all, a lot of us are tied to a desk from eight to five, Monday through Friday, and on top of that, sitting through traffic to and from work. And so the majority of our day is taken up with this very sedentary lifestyle. And in addition to that, oftentimes our meals are rushed, right? Breakfast, usually just coffee or a breakfast taco on the go. Lunch is often eating outside. And to have adequate time for dinner, to prepare a nourishing meal for your, yourself and your family, oftentimes it just doesn't happen. And so our modern lifestyle is adversely affecting our health. And now how does that relate to consumerism? Let me take a step back and, and suggest that if it weren't for our need for higher and higher standards of living, then we would actually be to the point today where most of us actually would be financially independent of our employers. And financial dependence upon our employers is unhealthy for a, a number of reasons, right? The first reason, which is it ties you to this sort of lifestyle where you're tied to a desk from eight to five and again, sitting through traffic. But more so, we, we have also engineered out the need for, for exercise. Okay, so that's exactly what you were getting to with your example of the snowblower is that if you look at the healthiest living populations in, in the world and you ask them, what is their secret to healthy living? A lot of them actually don't know. <laughs> and the reason is it's because it's built into their everyday lifestyle. So for example, myself and perhaps most people step out of our house and we step into our garage and there's our car. And so we don't really have to exercise like the way that our ancestors did. We've not engineered out the need for exercise. And in those places around the world where people live healthy lives, you automatically have exercise built in. It, it's more than that, right? It's also consumerism, a third way in, that, in which that affects our health is it, it adversely impacts our environment. And the environmental impacts, not just climate change, but species extinction, the artificial environments actually adversely affect our health. We've evolved to be best suited to our natural environments. And as we create increasingly artificial environments, the result is that we're compromising our health. The fourth major way that consumerism adversely affects our health is that it changes the nature of how we work. So once again, if you're dependent on your employer versus if you're financially independent of your employer, 
then you work differently. Most of us, unfortunately, are financially dependent on our employers on account of the need for ever higher standards of living. And as a result, we tend to work for money, whereas those who are financially independent, they work largely because they're passionate about the product or service that they can offer, and money is instead the side effect. And this is perhaps the biggest reason why consumerism adversely affects our health. But when you are in a situation where you're working for money and the product or service is a side effect, then you really try to make that product or service as addictive as possible. And think of the food industry here. Uh, you want to make things as addictive and as appealing as possible so that people will come back and buy more and more. And as a result, we take advantage of our consumers, right? And we as workers, uh, we try to make things as appealing as possible, not for the welfare of the person that we're selling to, but to unfortunately get as much money as we can out of consumers. I'm guessing that I have plenty of listeners listening right now who are wondering to themselves, wait a minute, in modern society, our products of convenience that we are buying or purchasing or subscribing to, they are making our hectic and crazy lives easier. And so I think there's a tension here between hectic and crazy daily living and health. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. One of the problems behind consumerism is that, in fact, we are chasing convenience. But when you really think about it, what we're really after, all of us, really, we want a, a better sense of well-being and ultimately a, a better uh, sense of happiness. These things that make life convenient and comfortable oftentimes may actually detract from one's happiness. And so what we're seeing is that as, for example, just with the example of our garages, we have a garage built to house our cars. And so it's very convenient, very comfortable. At the same time, we've engineered out the need for exercise, the need for our, our meaningful use of our, our legs. And the result is that our happiness as a society is actually decreasing. So if you were to, for example, look at a graph of GDP growth over time, and happiness over time in these last few decades. What's shocking to discover is that our levels of happiness are decreasing even as GDP is increasing year over year. We're gonna transition this conversation away from doom and gloom, consumerist misery, and towards potential solutions. We're gonna talk about all of that with Dr. George after a quick word from this week's sponsor. So many of us have chaotic, closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch 
They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we are back with Dr. Vimal George. He is a doctor of family medicine and the author of the new book, Health in Flames, A Doctor's Prescription for Living Beyond Diet and Exercise. Dr. George, before the break, you gave us a phenomenal picture of how consumerist living, living for the next thing, quote unquote thing, is impacting our personal health. But what's the solution, in your opinion? Is it simple living? And I'm doing simple living in air quotes because what even does that mean? And if we do want to retreat to a simpler time, Number one, how do we do that? And number two, how can we curate that simpler life for our health? The solution for this is to live a little bit more simply, exactly as you mentioned, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to live like a monk, okay? So I'm not necessarily saying that we should be going back to the Stone Ages either. What I do suggest is that we could take advantage of the sort of lifestyle that our forefathers were used to and not have to take the bad with the good. So as we advanced as a society, there is a way to take the good without also taking the bad. And how do we do this? On an individual level, that really amounts to, in the first place, recognizing what it is that we're after. And ultimately, we're really after our well-being and our happiness. The research behind what things make us happy is pretty interesting. This is going to be a a little bit of an oversimplification. Once you've met your basic needs, including food and security and housing and shelter, and once you've had those basic needs met, then the best things in life are free of cost. (laughs) And again, there's a lot of science that backs this up, which uh, again, I'll refer you to reading about in the book. But what do I mean by that? Well, really, after those basic needs are met, then the best things in life are those things that engage our body, like exercise, our mind, setting a goal, pursuing a goal, and our soul. So having a higher purpose, spending time with family and friends. Notice pretty much all those things are either very little 
cost or lar really largely free of cost with the exception of food. And once your basic needs are met, recognizing that the best things in life are free of cost for the most part, once you recognize that, then that means that you'll be able to invest the large, larger part of your income much more than the typical financial advisor would recommend, right? So most financial advisors will tell you to put away 10 to 20% of your income, invest it over time, and then you'll be ready to retire sometime in your old age. <laughs> but what I would say is that really, if you really buy into this philosophy that the best things in life are free once you've met your basic needs, then most people will actually be able to put away maybe 30%, 40%, even 70% of your income, depending on how much your income is relative to your expenses. But the vast majority after you've met your basic needs can be invested over time. That means that over time, you'll get to the point of becoming financially independent of your employer. Being tied to an employer leads to unhealthy outcomes. And this doesn't necessarily mean that I'm telling folks to retire after they've gotten financial independence. But I, I do suggest that life can be so much more interesting once you get to the point of becoming financially independent. You have the sort of leverage you need to be able to set your own terms of employment so that you're not a slave to this lifestyle. What's interesting to me about your response there is that you are tying happiness and financial security together. And so you're tying financial security, happiness, and overall holistic health together. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that's really interesting to me because I don't think that the average listener who's tuning in right now would ever connect those three seemingly varying facets of, of a life into one. So I think they're all connected in the fact that many of us in 2022 are, I don't want to say addicted, we're not addicted, but we're interested perhaps in pleasure-seeking behavior. So we're interested in spending more because we think we're going to get happiness from this, that, or the other thing. Are we as humans living in the Western world, are we just totally off track? And if so, how do we write our course? Yeah, sadly, we are largely off track, unfortunately. <laughs> so let me talk about an interesting economist that I'm sure your audience uh, may have heard of, John Maynard Keynes, who, you know, perhaps the fam most famous economist in the 20th century. But in the 1930s, he, he predicted that in our time, most of us, a large majority of us, would only need to work 10 to 15 hours per week. <laughs> okay. Okay. And this was something that he predicted 100 years ago uh, would be true in our time. Pretty much all the leading thinkers of the time thought this was uh, almost inevitable that this would happen. So what happened actually? We're obviously not working 10 to 15 hours a week, we're putting in much longer hours. And yet at the time Keynes wrote, most women were not in the labor force, right? And so you would think we would have gotten to that point of becoming financially independent or working fewer hours to meet our needs than, you know, what he predicted, which would be perhaps 20, instead of happening in our time, it should have happened 20 years ago. In fact, it even, it hasn't even happened in our time. So what happened is that our standards of living went up and up. And so just to give you one example of that, look at the size of our houses in the last 50 to 100 years. It's more than doubled in size. And yet, once again, our levels of happiness have actually declined. 
And so that tells you something, right? Because here we are searching for our, our own well-being, our own happiness. And instead of happiness increasing over time, we've been chasing higher standards of living, translating to poorer health because of the way our lifestyles are. And as a result, happiness levels are decreasing instead. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, what I hear you saying essentially is that we are wealthier than we've ever been in history, yet we also have more bills <laughs> than we've ever had in history. So we have to keep working. Exactly. That, that's right. And this tying to this model of employment on a large scale basis, on a population level basis, also really has some real adverse effects. Again, we are changing the nature of how we as humans act. Again, we're a very work-driven culture. We tend to focus on consumerism and sales to the detriment of health of our population and the well-being of our population. And it kind of changes who we are as a people. We've touched on, and I've touched on this in the podcast before, but we've touched on how increased sedentarism affects human health. I believe we touched on how financials and financial imprisonment, for a, a lack of a better word, may impact health. But I'd really love to ask you about the psychological impacts associated with consumerism. How does overconsumption, keeping up with the Joneses, impact our psychology? Yeah, so there's a lot of research that's been done on that, and I cite that in the book. Basically, higher levels of the need for more and more higher levels of standards of living, higher levels of material goods, basically translates to higher levels of anxiety, depression, lower self-esteem, and unhappier relationships, less community-oriented behavior, less wanting to, to volunteer for the other people's good, focusing on your own needs to the expense of, of others. Ultimately, you're less likable and less satisfied. So you've led me perfectly into my most important question, which is, what should we all be doing differently? Let me uh, suggest three things. The first thing is to recognize that, in fact, in life is our well-being, our happiness, not some uh, higher standard of living. So once you get to adopting that philosophy that the best things in life are free of cost after you met your basic needs, Okay, that's the first thing that you could do. Really, this is not just my opinion that I'm putting out there, but I, I really do point to the science that establishes that the best things in life, once you meet your basic needs, are largely free of cost. So that's the first step, adopting that philosophy. Second, once you do that, it's automatic. You will be able to live well within your means, and you'll have the capability to invest much more of your income than, again, the typical financial advisor would recommend. And then the third thing is to really rethink what... Uh, we think of as essential. <laughs> Just to give you one example that I point to in the book, I, I come from southern India, and, and as a little child, I grew up in, in the villages of southern India. I came here when I was three, and so I've lived, you know, majority of my life in the U.S., but we've always gone back every few years to visit. And I remember going back when I was a little bit older, maybe eight or nine years old, and 
you look around and you're shocked because no one in the entire village has utensils. So no one has fork or spoon or knife. It turns out that, as I discovered, our hands are perfectly capable of bringing food to your mouth. <laughs> and so this is a simple example of something that we think of as essential, but really we, we ought to be rethinking that. But there's all sorts of things. If you can rethink ut the use of your utensils, then there really is all sorts of things from the need for every child to have their own room or the need for, again, many things that we take for granted as essential that really probably we could do without. You gave the example of no utensils. That just doesn't work in 2022. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, and so first of all, I'm not encouraging anyone to necessarily get rid of your utensils, have utensils, it's an expectation. But the, the point is draw a line for yourself and for your family. Draw a line for yourself once you've figured out where that is. That beyond that level, you don't continue to increase the need for a higher standard of living, that you recognize it is a mindless pursuit. Once again, we're really searching for a sense of well-being and happiness, and yet these mindless pursuits are getting us into more trouble <laughs> because it actually doesn't translate to higher levels of happiness. In fact, it's actually detracting from that. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying and everything you're saying really resonates with me. I would say even that just being born in the Western world and growing up in a society in which I am vastly privileged, everything then becomes really a mindless pursuit. Let me, let me add to that because you're absolutely right. For 95% of our existence, we were hunter-gatherers. <laughs> and for about 4.8% of our existence, we were largely living in an agrarian society, pre-industrial society. And so only in the last 0.2% of our human history have we lived in this post-industrial era. And what you find is that what percentage of those folks do you think got enough exercise, for example, on a regular basis? Probably close to 100%, right? Because there was just not another option. And the point is not, once again, to take us back to where we were, but really we have advanced in some major ways. One, we've overcome a lot of infectious diseases. Two, we've been able to provide enough food for everybody, which was a real threat to our forefathers. And so the point is that there really is a way to take the good without also taking the bad by this mindless pursuit of higher levels of higher standards of living. Here's my big underlying question for you, which is, are we progressing at such an exponential rate that we are unable to take the good and leave the bad? That, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me suggest that the way things are going, so whether you're on the left or on the right, our politicians, <laughs> they're really chasing increasing GDP growth as the big uh, goal for society. GDP growth is basically gross domestic productivity. And so we're basically trying to increase productivity. However, we were never interested in becoming increasingly productive as a people. We were interested in our well-being, our health, and ultimately our happiness. And as we've increasingly become productive, what's happened is that we don't really have a way to manage the chronic diseases that we're seeing. We really should be able to prevent probably 80 to 90% of these chronic diseases. 
And that's, that's based on just being able to live the sort of healthy lifestyle that we're meant to. Again, a lot of these chronic diseases were rare for our ancestors. So we know that's true. But there's a line of thought out there. There's a school of thought that don't worry about the rise of chronic disease because you know what? With a little bit of time and increasing productivity will increase innovation. And that increased innovation will lead to discoveries of new drugs, which not, will, not only will manage the chronic diseases that we have, but actually cure them. So we'll be able to cure things like diabetes and Alzheimer's and cancer. But what's wrong with this line of thinking is that we have to separate healthy living from chronic disease management. And so, yes, we will get to the point of becoming able to cure many of the things that we can't even contain in today's world. So we'll be able to find a cure for cancer and a cure for diabetes, a cure for Alzheimer's. But the problem is enabling people to become increasingly sedentary and more productive we're actually not doing ourselves a favor in terms of the things that we're really interested in, which is our well-being and our, and ultimately our happiness. And that's why we're seeing that despite the higher levels of productivity, our health is in decline, our, our levels of happiness. And so really, unless we get off of this sort of mindless pursuit as a societal goal, we're really, unfortunately, shooting ourselves in the foot. Shooting ourselves in the foot. I love that analogy. And I wonder if there's any parallels to the fact that in terms of the climate crisis, we're essentially saying, don't worry, there are smart people, they're going to take care of this before we hit the point of no return. So keep living your lives, keep consuming, keep mindlessly competing with the Joneses, keep doing what you're doing because smarter people are going to take care of this. And so I'm wondering if there's any parallel with what you're saying, which is essentially humans are getting sicker. Dr. George, you've given me an awful lot to think about. I loved reading every single page of your book, Health in Flames. Where can my listeners get more of you and where can they find your book? You can visit my website, uh, www.healthandflames.com. You can find the book on most online retail websites. I hope for some of you who really want to take this to the next level and want to help bring about a societal level benefit as opposed to just an individual benefit, there's a place on the website where it says to get involved. And I do hope to hear from some of the audience here today and would love to get together on on building a better society. Listeners, that's a wrap. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Vimal George. I have linked to his new book, Health in Flames, in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 252. Now, before we say goodbye, I do have a quick eco tip for you today, and it comes from me. I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about whether you should put caps on items before you recycle them, or perhaps you should leave caps free. We were talking specifically about a jug of almond milk. A jug might not be the right word. It's that paper container that's lined with plastic that in almost all municipalities you can't recycle, but the cap is plastic. It's the same type of container that orange juice comes in. It's a plastic lined paper carton. So the carton's not recyclable, but the cap 
to the hole that pours the drink is recyclable. And I was mentioning to my friend how you should always discard items with caps on, and I blew her mind. So that's my eco tip for you today. Always recycle or always discard of items with the caps on. And the reason why you recycle with caps on is because caps are too light and too small to generally get picked up by recycling machinery. And so when you recycle them loosely or even perhaps throw them out loosely, the chances of them becoming dislodged from their bags or from their containers and just becoming litter or plastic waste or microplastic pollution as they break down, those chances are greatly increased if they're not attached to the bottle or carton that the cap goes to. So recycle, as a general rule, recycle with the caps on, unless, of course, you've called your municipality, which would give you an A++, by the way. you got to call and see how your municipality recycles. But unless you know differently, recycle with your caps on. Now, I will see you again on Thursday where we are discussing what I am in the midst of planning right now, and that is kids' birthday parties. We're discussing how on earth sustainable minimalists do kids' birthday parties. We'll get into all of that on Thursday. See you then and take care.